You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Thank you. It's such, you know, like I said, it's an honor to be here, to be here in the house as I prayed about what we should call, what I should call this message. I landed on the gift of unity. The gift of unity. Now, one thing I know about this house is that you guys not only talk about unity a lot, but you live it out. This is a house of unity. And that whole idea of a gift, how many people like getting good gifts? Man, good gifts. Good gifts are awesome. I remember as a kid around Christmas time, you know, Christmas would come and I'd look around the tree and I would always gravitate. I would always go directly to the largest gift that I saw. How many people can relate to that? When you were a kid, you'd just beeline it right to the largest gift. And then the older I've gotten, the more I realize, no, 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 no. I'm not going for the largest gift because that's not always the best gift. More often than not, the best gifts are the small gifts. Maybe what you got in your stocking. Maybe, maybe it was so small that it would have been under your nose and you never would have been gravitating toward it at all. But it's the best gift. And I believe that Southview Church, one of the best gifts that you have in this church to be part of this house, to be part of this family, this kingdom family, is the fact that you guys represent unity in the kingdom of God well. Because I know your pastor. He's a friend. He's a personal friend. Mark is my friend. And one thing I know about this church, and I know about his heart, so I know that it leaks into everything that happens here. I see it. I see it even on social media, the way that you guys host uh, worship gatherings that include other churches from around the region. You guys are making kingdom impact. It's bigger. You're not just focused on building your castle. You're focused on building the kingdom. And that benefits you so much because you receive those benefits because week after week, there are spiritual seeds that are being implanted in you that cause you to see things differently. And you are part of a bigger kingdom than you could possibly even get your head around. Southview Church is not just impacting Southview Church, Spring Hill, Columbia. No, I'm telling you, even there in Nashville and even north of Nashville, the reach of Southview Church is massive. How do I know that? Because I know your pastor. And he's a kingdom man. And he walks this out, this John 17 unity. And I've had the honor and privilege of being able to be part of things, even in the city of Nashville, that represent unity in the kingdom of God. It really is. From cover to cover, it's all about unity. You can't get past it. You know, during the first service, during worship, I began to 
get this picture in my mind of Isaiah 2, which is a future picture of the kingdom that's to come. You know, and how all the nations of the earth are gravitating toward this mountain. And how many people have heard the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven? Yeah, we know that from the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. And so a lot of times we're, we're praying for and contending for things on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if it doesn't look like diversity and unity, it doesn't represent the kingdom of heaven. Because that's the future. That's what it's going to look like. That's what it looks like in heaven. If it doesn't look diverse and unified, it doesn't look like the kingdom. And so we serve a mighty God, a holy God, and he is good. <laughs> and so you guys have an awesome gift right under your nose. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. God commands a blessing when we are gathered together in unity, in that oneness, God commands a blessing. I remember it was in 2002, I got captivated. At the time, I was up north of Nashville. I was in Hendersonville. I was a youth pastor in Hendersonville for about 14 years there in Sumner County. And at the time, I was bivocational. And I remember reaching out to other youth pastors in the region. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. But I invited them to be part of this gathering. I even, I even foot the bill to have this gathering of youth pastors with their youth ministries together. I rented out the Gallatin Civic Auditorium or the Civic Center so we could do a big lock-in. And I was going to invite the youth pastors to come and speak each one of them bring a message and include their worship teams. The long and short of it is I reached out to 70 different uh, youth ministries and had these promo packs put together. Videos were filmed, all of it. It was done very nice and made follow-up phone calls. Not a single one of them showed up. Not a single one. But there was one church that came and brought about 40 students from Clarksville because that was far enough away for us to not be a threat. And so I thought I had two choices at this moment in time. Because something happened in me that year when I was reading John 17. You ever have those moments when scripture just, it comes and, and just envelops you, it pulls you in, it sucks you in, and you know you're never going to be the same. I had one of those moments with John 17. I read it, I don't know how many times before, but for some reason I read it this time and it not only gripped my heart, but consumed my life. I cannot view the kingdom of God outside of the lens of unity and oneness. I just can't do it. And so I had a choice at that moment. Either I can say, well, Forget this, this unity thing. It's too much trouble. Obviously, nobody's into it. Everybody's threatened by each other. Or I could do what I did. I took a step back, and I put myself in their shoes. I was working bivocational at the time, 
So I was down on Music Row, and I thought, they don't know me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to commit to get to know these youth pastors over the next couple years. We'll build relationship, and then when it happens, it happens. But how about if I do that? So that's what I did. I found out about some youth pastors, got together. We started gathering once a month. And so within a couple of years, we did some events together. We got our youth ministries together, and it was great. See, there was a cost to it. It required something of me. If I'm asking people to join me in a place when they don't know me, they don't know my heart, and all they know is what goes on in the world around them, then chances are they'll never trust unity. If because their idea of unity is based on something other than what's represented in the word of God. Now, when we look in Genesis chapter 11, we go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 11, we see this picture where the Tower of Babel is being built up. God sees that all of these people are building this tower. They want to build a name for themselves. They want to build a tower toward heaven so that all the nations and all the people of the earth gravitate toward this city and talk about how great they are. It sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Aren't we all doing that? We're building our own little towers. We want recognition. We want to know, you know, that, that I've made a significant difference. We see this. This is what people long for. They want to know and be known, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially when it comes to kingdom things. But God himself looks down on the people. And he says, if as one people speaking the same language, they, who's they? His own creation. This is God creator of heaven and earth, looking down on his own creation, saying, if as one people speaking the same language, they have decided in their hearts to do this, there is nothing they cannot accomplish. Nothing. God himself says this. So he scatters them, causes them to speak different language Languages, so they will not accomplish what was presently in their hearts. Why? Because they were going in direct opposition to what God had asked them to do, which was scatter and multiply and subdue the earth and multiply over the earth. And of course, last week we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. So you see the reversal of the Tower of Babel. You see this unity, this oneness that you and I actually have access to now through the Holy Spirit. But when God himself is looking down on his own creation, you and I, and saying, if as one people speaking the same language, they have decided in their hearts to do this, there's nothing they cannot accomplish. Don't you think the enemy knows that too? Why do you think there's such an assault on us being unified? It's because he knows that if the body of Christ, if Christians all over the earth began to come together as one, then the kingdom of heaven is unstoppable. 
But if we can get offended by the person that sits on the other side of the room because of what they said, they stole my seat. They said something to me in Bible study that I didn't like. They offended me, and so I might end up moving out of the church. That seems pretty stoppable. Jesus said that his church would be unstoppable. Right? So we know that there's an enemy that's trying to divide us. You see, in, in, in Ephesians, it talks about how we are seated, seated in the heavenly realms. That's present. God is outside of time. That's where we are. We can see God's perspective, even right now, no matter what it is that we face. And so when we step into that reality and we recognize that the enemy is trying to divide us, then we're ready. We can unify. We can solidify. We can be galvanized together. Why? Because Jesus prayed for it. In John 17, 20 through 23, Jesus is praying for us. I do not ask for these only. He's referring to the disciples, the 12 guys he spent three years pouring into. And so he had just gotten finished praying for them. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Those that will believe in him through the generations that come after the disciples, the word that has been put and planted in them going forward, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Something powerful happens when we come together as one like that. The world takes notice. You see, this is, this is outside of the world's normalcy. We live in a cancel culture where you do something that offends me, I write you off. I have been forgiven much. I can't help but posture myself to forgive others because I know what I've been guilty of. And Jesus shed his blood and forgave me of all of my sins so that I would be white as snow and righteous in God's sight. And so I have a responsibility to extend that same forgiveness to others. Right? We all do as followers of Jesus. And so Jesus is praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one. How many prayers that Jesus prayed in his lifetime do you believe are going to go unanswered? Do you believe that if Jesus, who is God, is talking to God the Father, and he's praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one, how many people believe that prayer will not be answered? The only question, the only concern that comes into play is when. When. We could be the answer to Jesus' prayer. You can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. When, isn't that worth laying down our lives for? Being the answer to Jesus' prayer? 
This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's a big deal. It's not an add-on. It's not just the frosting on the cake. It's the cake. It's the cake. Jesus is praying that we would be one. Is he and the Father are one? How much separation is there between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? There is none. That's what he's praying for. Not just coming together around an idea. It's being identified as one. There's no separation. It's becoming one. It's oneness. And there is no competition between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father's not trying to be the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not trying to be Jesus. They all function differently, and we need them all. They all are one. It's three in one. The Holy Spirit, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells you if you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. That means that we are unstoppable if we actually step into this. The devil knows that. So if he can get you off point by making you think about your brother or sister on the other side of the room or that person on the other side of the cubicle that you work with, if you can get focused there, get irritated, start writing off members of your family, then he's got you. You're not going to walk in oneness. You're not going to extend the kingdom because you're allowing bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness to dwell in your heart. That's all he's got to do is get you offended with another brother or sister. That's all he's got to do. And now you're not accomplishing what you were put on the earth to do, which is extending the kingdom of heaven. This is so much bigger than just you having a bad day. The enemy's got bigger fish to fry than just making your week and month and even your year upset. He's got the kingdom in mind. And he knows that if you were actually turned on to it, that you are a force to be reckoned with. So if he can get you fixated and focused on your own personal feelings and emotions to where you start writing off people and not stepping into your identity, then he's got you. And all he did was just put a little speed bump in your way. He didn't even have to build a wall. He had to put so little effort. And I don't know about you, but when I begin to think about that, I begin to think, man, I am taken down so easily. I need to be so empowered by the Holy Spirit. I need the vantage point of heaven. We need each other. How many people in this room have a testimony with Jesus? You've been saved. You've been set free. He's healed you. He's healed a family member. You've seen him move powerfully. Well, here's one thing that will be an encouragement that every one of us needs to remind each other of is the fact that we need each other. 
if we were to compile all the stories and testimonies of how Jesus has moved in each one of our lives, if we began to compile all of those stories and wrote them all down, it would not even touch how big and magnificent God is. Every one of those stories. As a matter of fact, if we took all the stories and testimonies of all the humans that are presently living and all that have been living in years past from the beginning of time all the way to Adam and Eve and blow it out all the way to the future in every human that will ever uh, suck wind on this earth uh, from now till eternity to the end of time, it would still not even come close to containing and representing how big and magnificent our God is. That's the God that we serve. And so when we walk around in this place where we've got an idea that I've got God figured out, or even as a church, even my own church, if I walk in East Nashville in my own church and I think, wow, God's moving here. Look at what he's doing. And, and I think even for a moment that, wow, this encapsulates everything that God is doing. My view of God is not worthy of being worshiped. He's so much bigger. He's so much grander. We need each other because when you come in, when we come together, you bring your peace and I bring me, my, me peace. When I bring me peace, <laughs> when I bring my peace, we both come together and it forms something new together. Just like it does when you get married. It wasn't two people that severed complete identity. No, they brought their pieces from their families and came together as, as one and formed a new family. And so it brought the things, the ingredients from both sides, and it became something better. Because we really are better together, right? And when we come into alignment under Jesus, even in our own marriages, much less the body of Christ, when we say, whatever he says goes, I lay my life down for his purposes. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than he was willing to lay down his life on behalf of a friend. He also said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When you and I are willingly laying down our lives, connecting with others, any sort of relationship takes vulnerability. It takes that dying to self. When we are going to honor what the Lord is doing, it means putting myself not only in the other person's shoes, but preferring my brother to myself. It's no longer about me. That's how we can step into that place of oneness, that place of unity, that place that Jesus prayed for. God is love. 
Love brings unity, and unity manifests glory. God is love. Love brings unity, and unity manifests glory. The world takes notice. They see something different in us. We represent something that's bigger than ourselves when we come together like that. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a bride, one bride, not millions of little brides. You know, I used to, I used to get this picture when it was talking about the body of Christ. And I used to think, ah, okay, you know, Adam's the arm, Mike's the big toe, you know, and, and I might be uh, like a shin or something or, or maybe a heel. I mean, like, like each one of us is like this part. And then we're all under the head of Jesus. And I would picture everybody as being like a, like a little body part, almost like, like Jesus was coming back for millions and billions of little Jesuses, little brides. No, he's coming back for one. One, under the headship and lordship of Jesus. So my church may be like an elbow or something. Or, you know, I mean, like, like the way that we end up coming together. And maybe you guys are, are the mouth. And, and uh, you know, and the way that the Lord begins to pull us all together. We all need each other. We need each other. We all bring something to not only the table, but as we come together, we step into a greater identity, who he's called us to be in representing him. We don't have to do this alone. Aren't you glad about that? In Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. All things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That's the purpose that Jesus was sent. That's what he's doing. That's what he's bringing forth. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, it says, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body in one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are shown how we are to do this, that we are to come together to honor one another in that regard. And it's not doesn't come easy. It's not all gumballs and rainbows. It can be hard sometimes, but that's okay. He sustains us. Just like it's worth it in our marriages to lay down our lives. That was the charge to me as a husband that I'm supposed to lay down my life like Christ, for my wife, the way that Christ laid down his life for the church. That's what we're called to. 
We're not getting out of this thing alive. We're not. We're not. <laughs> We're made new in Christ. <laughs> he makes all things new. And he empowers us to do this. Last year, I was praying. Last May, I was praying and talking to a pastor friend of mine right there in East Nashville. And I was a lead pastor of a church called One Stone. One Stone, Nashville. We're located in East Nashville. And, and a friend of mine, Pastor Grant Pemberton, is the pastor of Nashville Vineyard. And we had been close over the course of the last five years, just getting together about once a week. And over those years, during those five years, I would lob out the idea and say, hey, man, why don't we merge together? Why don't we bring our churches together? And we'd figure out about 20 to 30 different reasons why it would never work. You know, once we got to talking about it, it's like, no, this is never going to work. But I remember last May, I was talking to Grant, and I said, Grant, I never set out to do this. This was never my idea to plan a church. The only reason I did it is because God told me to do it. I'd give it up tomorrow if he didn't want me to do it anymore. I know that he does. But I'm just really sensing in my spirit that we're not just supposed to be about unity, but I'm supposed to become unity. And so I'd been captivated, just drawn to... Um, the idea of unity, I just really sensed that the Lord was challenging us to become unity. And the Lord brought us together. And that was the passage in Scripture that Jesus kept telling me, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the Lord told us that what we were supposed to do is offer up our churches, each one of our churches, to die so that they could die and be buried and he could give us a new name and raise us up for his purposes. A lot of times when churches come together, one of them is weak and anemic and they basically need the other. But we had two healthy churches willingly laying down our lives for his purposes. And that's what we did. And, and the Lord raised us up to become Unite Church. And so we did that back in October and it's been amazing. It's been amazing, and I'd love to tell you that it's all just hunky-dory every moment. We've had challenges, but I tell you, they're amazing because we're being challenged. We're growing. We're having to face different things. You know, when you've got two lead pastors, you know, he and I are different, but the Lord brought us together. He knew what he was doing. You know, Grant's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. We end up making up for what the other lacks, and it's amazing. See, I need Grant, and I would never go back to doing it any other way. When Jesus sent him out two by two, I believe he did it for a reason. It's so you're not gonna get tired, you're not gonna get worn out, you're not gonna get your rear handed to you by the enemy who's trying to kick you down. You know what I mean? And so each and every one of us, that's why we need each other, why we come together in unity. And then the last point is this. When we came together, there was somebody that declared something over the house. And they gave us a picture of what the old Hebraic uh, pictograph meant for that idea of oneness. The old ancient are, are these pictures and symbols for that oneness. And what it represented was strongly fence the door. 
That's what that one, that oneness means. Strongly fence the door. So if I can explain this to you, it looks like this. Say we were, as we are, we're gathered together right here and a fire breaks out right up here at the front of the room. If there's a fire there, more than likely every one of us is going to start heading toward these exit doors to get out. But that idea of oneness that is meant, intended for, that Jesus was even praying there, is this idea of strongly fencing the door, which means a fire breaks out here, we lock the doors, we deal with the fire. That's what we're called to in relationship with our families, our marriages, with it doesn't matter what it is that we face. A fire breaks out in any situation. We're going to deal with the fire. We're not going to hightail it and run. We're not going to look like the world. We're not going to cancel each other out. We're going to stay the course and represent the kingdom in heaven on earth. So let's, let's stand. Father God, Lord, Lord. We challenge us. We accept the challenge of truly becoming one. Jesus is you and the Father are one. So the world will know. So the world will know. So the world will know in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.